Well, I'm excited about this morning. Um, you're seeing a bunch of stools being placed up on the stage here because uh, we're going to have a number of people sharing testimonies uh, this morning, and I'm really excited. Uh, and first of all, I just want to draw your attention to one person up here, uh, Mr. Daniel Branch. He might look, yeah, he might look a little different uh, this morning because he uh, tomorrow embarks on his third decade of life on this earth. The big, the big 3-0, the big 3-0, so you can come up to him and sing, him, sing happy birthday to him after the service. So, well, I'm, I'm excited. We've been talking about what does it look like for all of us to follow Jesus every day uh, into the places that Jesus has, uh, has sent us. And uh, the, this whole conversation has been framed around uh, a passage in John. Uh, towards the end of John, there's this interaction between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus uh, comes and approaches Peter. They're having breakfast on the beach, a little fish and chips, and, and, and they're sitting there and talking. And uh, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, of course, Lord, I, I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. And then he asks them a second time and a third time. And remember, Peter was the one who denied Jesus, and so Jesus is reinstating Peter in this in this uh, situation, and then Jesus goes on and he tells Peter kind of what's going to happen in his life. Towards the end of his life, there will be somebody who will dress him, and he goes on and details how Peter is going to die. And so Peter hears this, and he says, it says in John uh, chapter 21, it says, now the disciple that Jesus loved was also there. And so Peter asked this question, which I'm sure all of us, if we were in that situation, would ask. And Peter asked Jesus, he says, well, Jesus, what about John? What's going to happen in his life? And Jesus said this, Peter, what is it to you? What is it to you? You follow me. And I think so often we can look around and look at people's lives and say, well, my life doesn't compare to that person as a follower of Jesus. My, my life doesn't compare to this person as a follower of Jesus. And I think all throughout this conversation has been those words of Jesus. What does it matter? You follow me. I have sent you to certain areas, I have sent you to a certain workplace, I have sent you to certain schools to bring glory to my name, to live every day as a follower of Jesus. And I know a number of you are doing that. I heard a number of testimonies this week, people who are laying down their life for Jesus where you are sent, and incredible things that God is having you do. And so I've invited uh, five people to come up front, you guys can come on up front uh, now, come on up, make your way. I've asked them to share their story, share a part of their life, and what does it look like for them to follow Jesus. And I'm excited. I was so encouraged hearing their testimonies this week, and I know you're going to be encouraged. And there's so many different ways that we can follow Jesus, and there's, what, I think, 10,080 minutes a week. And if you think about it, only 90 of those minutes were here together. And so 9,000 and 90 minutes, we're separate, we're out in the community, we're, we're doing the things that God has asked us to do, and I have, and it, it looks different for each person. And so these guys are going to share a little bit of what God is leading them into and where God has them. And so uh, let me pray for them, and then I'll introduce you to them. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for each life uh, represented up on the stage here. God, thank you for these lives that are uh, totally surrendered to you. I ask that you would empower them, them your servants, to speak your words with great boldness. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and direct this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 
think about it. There's a microphone back there. You want to grab that, Pete? You might be up here thinking, okay, there's five people. If they each share five minutes, that's 25 minutes. And then we got a message on top of that. Is this going to be a two-hour service? They are the message. Just to relieve any like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen this morning, okay? Um, you might be like, we're going to, I got to change my lunch plans. No, keep your lunch plans. Um, unless the Holy Spirit breaks out and we're here for a couple hours. Um, but I want to introduce you to my friends up here. Uh, Nicole LaCroix, right here, uh, married to Doug and four children. Empty nester, because the youngest is out at uh, college. <laughs> yep, Doug's raising his hand too, yep. Uh, teacher, and uh, known Nicole for a number of years. Next we have Brennan and Nikki Beyer. And uh, yep, many of you know them. So married uh, just over a year, yeah? New to the Holland area, been in Holland uh, a year or so, okay? And uh, newer to Moran Park, and so you're going to hear from them. And Leanne Muma, married to Dave, three children. Um, not empty nesters, they're fully in the house, and uh, keeping life busy, uh, stay-at-home mom, full-time job there, and then Pete Hookstra, not to be confused with the politician, um, that's how he introduces himself, and his wife Jean, and four kids, and grandkids, number of grandkids, and usually Pete is behind the computer, running uh, the slides up on the screen, and that's where he really likes to stay, so uh, he is out in front, though, this morning. So I've asked them to share um, really around the topic of what does it look like for them to follow Jesus every day, where God has sent them. And I want to start with Leanne. Uh, she's going to go first, lucky you. And I was really encouraged, uh, Leanne, um, by what you shared with me this week about your attitude when you go into the grocery store. Um, just a very ordinary task. I'm going to the grocery store. Uh, but you shared that there's something uh, that you have going on inside of you when you walk into the grocery store, a, a different attitude. Why don't you go ahead and share? Yeah, well, um, you know, you were just talking about places that God has called people. Um, this little the story beforehand, biblical story. Anyways, <laughs> um, you know, God has called me to places like Meyer and Target because I'm a mom. I go to Target. I like Target. Thank God he's <laughs> called me there. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, you know, I walk into those places, and there's seas of faces everywhere. And I wonder um, how many of those people have had the worst days of their lives and have to go shopping that day. I can't even talk about this without crying. Look, I'm the first one. Oh, good. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just wonder who got the worst news of their life, who, whose spouse left them recently, um, who's been walking through a horrible year. So... Why don't you share a story of the, the woman that you met at the can return uh, place and uh, what God was doing oh, in yeah. you on that day. Um, okay, so I went shopping at Target, went, or Meyer, and I did all my grocery shopping, and I went out and put my stuff in my car, and then I, I didn't, I didn't want to go home yet. I just didn't, it wasn't, it didn't feel right. And so I went back in, in the store, and I walked in there and I thought, okay, well, Lord, you're going to have to tell me what to do because I don't know what I'm doing here. So I kind of walked around by the produce for a little while and then I, <laughs> and then um, I walked over by Starbucks and I thought, well, should I buy somebody a drink? There's an awful long line there. How am I going to pick one person? Okay. So then I started walking towards the back of the store, still not knowing where I was going to go. And I turned a corner and in front of me was the can return. So I thought, well, who doesn't like help with their cans? You know what it's horrible job. Nobody likes that. So I walked in and um, just started picking up somebody's cans and said, hey, I'll help you out here. And they were like, oh, okay. 
All right. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't have anywhere to go. It's fine. I, I have time. So I um, finished up with her, and then um, I went on to the next person there. And a couple, I did say to a few people, you know, I, I just didn't feel like I was supposed to leave the store yet. So, you know, I just want you to know that the Lord loves you. And, and then I got to this one woman, and I started helping her. And she didn't have that many cans. It was a small, small thing. And um, so I started helping her. And, um, and she goes, well, I, c I can't pay you anything. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't need your money. It's fine. I don't, I'm not looking to get paid. So then she started telling me her problems. And she started telling me about um, her son's baby mama drama. And um, that's what she called it. And um, so we were done, and, and then she left. And I kind of just stood there, and I thought, okay, well, what do I do with that now? So I decided I was going to go find her. She told me that she's bringing these cans back so that she could buy some groceries for herself. So I thought, well, I'm going I'm I'm to go find her, and I'm going to buy her groceries today. So I found her um, in the checkout with a Red Bull in her hand, and that was it. It was awesome. <laughs> And her cart was sitting there with her purse in it, and I said, come on, Dina, let's go. I'm going to buy you some groceries. And I took her cart with her purse in it and started walking away. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, what? 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 What's going on here? What are you doing? And I said, We're gonna, I'm going to buy you some groceries today. And she stops in the aisle, and she looks at me, and she goes, I, I just, are you a Christian? And I was like, oh, oh, no, what am I, oh, what am I supposed to do? Oh. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, yeah, I am. And she goes, I am too. <laughs> and she goes, I was just praying this morning that the Lord would be a father and a provider to me. Mm. Whew. Whew. What the heck? Yeah. So we walked for a little while, and I said, do you want a bigger cart? And she's like, no. No, this is fine. She was in a total daze. She, she asked me if I had won the lottery. <laughs> she had no idea what was going on. So, yeah. Awesome. Nicole, you're a teacher. And when I initially asked you to share, and, and we got into this conversation, I was thinking, uh, have you share about some interactions that you have with your students? Um, but then the more I talked with you, you were talking about interactions that you have with other teachers, staff members, uh, and then more specifically parents. And so God has sent you into the, the school district and, and into the classroom. And I would love, instead of focusing on the conversation with the, the students, share a little bit of how God has led you to interact with teachers and parents speci specifically. Okay. Um, well, you know I had a huge advantage of being a mom at this school. For seven years, my kids went through this school um, and graduated there. It goes up to eighth grade. And every Thursday, I was the mom who came in and helped the teachers. And um, so we created relationships. I would send little notes of encouragement if I knew they were struggling and give them little gifts and just do anything I could do every Thursday for seven years. So then when I came on staff, it was just a natural transition that these same teachers now were staff. What's that word? Cohorts? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm only a fourth grade teacher. 
We don't use that word. Okay, so now that we were cohorts, they could just come into my room, right? Yeah. And we could still have these conversations. We could still pray together. And I could still put little notes of encouragement in their mailboxes. So I just feel like I had a huge advantage that way of having the relationship already established. But then, like you say, I thought it was just about the fourth graders and the teachers. But what I'm finding out is these parents of these fourth graders, <laughs> so many are so hurting. Sometimes our, con our conferences, they come in twice a year, and our conferences, our 15-minute time slot is pretty much 13 minutes of me building into them as parents, and then we talk two minutes about their kid at the end of it and wrap it up. And um, another thing that I just am so surprised about, and I'm so loving that God has opened this, um, you know that we're empty nesters, so our Saturday mornings, we don't go to our kids' soccer events anymore. So those are free. So I'm able to go to soccer games and football games, and I'm, I, I sit literally with these parents, and we're watching the soccer game, and just last week at my last soccer game, the mom is telling me about how she has struggled with self-image since high school. And I'm like, honey, I mean, because they're all <laughs> younger than me, honey, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, can, I can build into her yeah. right there on the soccer field. And by the end, we're both crying, holding our coffees, and here comes the kid. So yeah. I, I, it's just awesome. And you know, you know the, how hard it is to be a yes. mom and the, the, the stress yes. that, that parents are under. And so that, share a, bit, a little bit about how that has motivated you. Oh, and yeah. What you do with the parents all throughout the year. Yes, I was a stay-at-home mom, too. And I just recently went back. I've, this is only my fifth year teaching fourth grade. So I was with them, too. And I totally get these parents. I totally know how mornings are frustrating and so you're so flustered just getting out the door. Um, so they'll email me, and maybe they've had a hard day. Like, so-and-so, like, I hope you can give her some extra attention. We had a hard morning. And I don't know, I, I don't think my principal is in here, but, like, I will literally <laughs> write out an entire prayer email to them. I, I'll just say, dear Lord, and then I will just pray for them, send. And that's how I can keep encouraging them. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. I am so thankful. We'll go down to the end with Pete. And uh, a couple months ago, I was talking with Pete, and uh, we were here on a Sunday morning. And he said, hey, do you see this guy riding uh, your, your, a bike down your road uh, with fat tires, and it's kind of motorized, and it scoots down, and it's, uh, it goes pretty fast down uh, where you live? And I said, yeah, I do, uh, I do see that guy often. And uh, he said, it's my coworker. And then he went on to share with me what the, the Lord had uh, put on, on his heart uh, to share with a coworker and how to be involved in that coworker's life. And so, Pete, why don't you share about your, uh, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus every day in your workplace? Um, and what does, that look, yeah, what does that look like? So, this guy hired me, and uh, one of the first things he tells me is, I'm not a believer. And there's a lot of believers here, and they play their Christian music, and I'm not going to hear that Christian music. And I'm not going to have you preaching at me. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, so what I'm thinking 
is how do I connect with this guy? Because he's lost and he needs to see Christ, right? So that's my struggle every day. That's my challenge every day is to connect with this man. And we connect very well, by the way. We are like the original team and the you know, management style team. We're a team, the two of us. And um, he talks with me and he shares with me. He's a single dad. Um, his son was born at 26 weeks. And uh, as a result, uh, has a touch of Asperger's and has some, some needs. So it's challenging for him as a single dad. Very, very committed to his child. Um, like a good Christian would be, right? So he tells me uh, there's no such thing as faith and he doesn't believe in, in God. Um, and he says, I might as well just believe in Santa Claus. So quite frequently, when something comes up where I can just kind of toss in something, I'll say something about him believing in Santa Claus. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of that's just one guy you know and what's weird is um, we're in a privately owned business and at the Christmas bank banquet the owner stands up and prays very lofty prayer in front of everybody usually it's held in a church it's just I'm thinking to myself how uncomfortable must the unbelievers be in this mm -hmm. situation so I try to be cognizant of that. Um, and what happens is there's others that come down into our workspace and they connect. They, they will share things, troubles that they got going on in their life. And, you know, I guess in, in what I do is I just try to remember who I belong to and to respond in a loving way. Yeah. That's, that's what it is for me daily. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Pete. You know, as I think, yeah. <laughs> I love the picture that we're getting this morning because it can happen one moment in, at Meyer, in a, in a powerful moment, but then it also ha happens in the context of relationships that are built on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And uh, uh, Brennan and Nikki, um, you guys are new to the area, uh, been here a year. God has called you to, uh, to be involved in, in college students. And so talk a little bit about how the Lord is leading you there and uh, how you're building those relationships, but then also how you're just following Jesus day by day into the areas that he has sent you. Hi, I'm Nikki. Um, so I work at Hope College. I'm a volunteer coach for the soccer team and then I recently joined full-time staff with a ministry called Athletes in Action which is just a campus ministry that tries to share Jesus with athletes and then um, help them in their walk with the Lord and equip them to go out and share um, and so what that looks like every day um, it's cool because I get to see I think there's some soccer girls here maybe now but I get to see them at practice and just in that environment I get to watch them and um, just kind of watch and pray over them and then um, 
during the day, I just meet with students and hear their stories, um, talk with them, and then hopefully be able to share that truth and love of Jesus with them. Um, And the goal is really not to have them fall more in love with meeting with me or um, hearing my voice, but I really want to get them in the word and um, just fall more in love with Jesus and be equipped and actually know what it means to follow follow him in your sport, follow him in your locker room, and um, just understand that we're not just athletes, but that we are followers of Jesus who play sport and have this really powerful opportunity to um, to have a platform. And sports is just this really weird thing where we idolize people and we have this huge craze over teams and um, it can be a little messy. But I think the positive spin on it is it's just really powerful when you have like you'll get to hear Brennan, but Brennan played at a very high level, and he has an opportunity to really um, make people listen in a in a really strange way that not a lot of people can. Um, so it can be a really powerful ministry. And then um, I'll just add that I I love working with athletes because there's just this element that they know what like total life sacrifice is for something. Like an athlete, you know, they they understand going in early and dedication and first for a goal. And so when you share with them Jesus, they're like, if this is true, then I really need to give up my life for this. So I've seen that switch and it can be just such a powerful, um, just a really powerful thing. But Yeah, Brent, why don't you share how, how you do that with guys on, on Hope's campus? Yeah, so... Uh I had the opportunity this year to help out with the Hope football team a little bit. Um, And just being in football in college and at the pro level, um, just seeing the culture um, of sports and just of football and men, um, and even believing and following some of that myself, um, just seeing the lies that are tied into your identity uh, as a player and as a man and what a man is. Um, on a football team and how coaches can reinforce that and uh, society reinforces that. Um, yeah, I just, I just want to be at hope and uh, pour truth into these kids, um, get to know them and just tell them that, hey, your identity's not in how well you perform, um, if you're starting or not. Um, that has no value on your worth as a human in God's eyes. And um, just looking for, for ways to to pour love into these guys, truth into these guys, and uh, just challenge them that, you know, I think love can be such a greater motivation than uh, being the best or pleasing others or pleasing your coach. Um, but God's love uh, is a very powerful tool we have as athletes. So, I, um, This hit me when we were talking earlier today, and it hit me again. Um, there is, as playing the sport, there, there's... That can quickly become your identity and become all-consuming. But you're teaching young men, don't put your identity in your sport, put it in, in Jesus. And we can only share out of where we ourselves have been. And so why don't you share a little bit about how God did that in your life, if you don't mind, how uh, Jesus became your identity instead of Brennan being a football player. Yeah, um, yeah I'd say high school. Um, I'm the son of a pastor, and I just had all this knowledge, and I, I knew who Jesus was, what he had done, and I loved him, but I sold him to this, this lie of sports and what a man should be and what men should go after and what men should do, and um, 
just a crazy story, but I, I got this chance to play at Michigan. Um, and I just remember the more I thought on it, um, God just broke me down and said, I'm bringing you here for a purpose. Um, and it's not the purpose you've been going with through high school. Um, so I came into college with that mindset that I'm going to find out more about who Jesus is and get to know him better um, for me, not just something my family does. Um, yeah, and that just changed uh, who I was as a person, what my value was in. The uh, first game I started, I got ripped on on national television and benched and absolutely torn apart, and that challenged my identity. Um, but I was able to fall back on Christ and who he said I was. And I just remember coming back and just being joyful, even after such a terrible game. Um, and then even in the NFL, um, I had gotten hurt after going into my third year, and I was going to start trying out for different teams. And I just remember looking at my motivation and, you know, why am I still playing football? Um, and the more I looked at it, it was for reasons um, that the world says, that that's a dream profession. You're making a, a good living. Um, and it's just an ultimate epitome of what it means to be a man. And I realized I was still falling into some of those lies. Um, and so I made the decision to walk away from that. And that was one of the toughest de decisions I'd ever made because football was all I had known. But, um, yeah, just, just knowing who Jesus said I was and that sports is his calling is so much greater. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a big, big part of my life, learning that. And that's the reason you do everything you do today. Uh, you guys are in Holland because Jesus said, hey, move here. You're doing what you're doing today because Jesus said, no, this is where I, I've sent you. And so I would like to get into the, the why for all of us. Why do, why do all of you do what you do as a teacher, as a stay-at-home mom working? Um, why do you do what you do? Nikki, why don't you share um, a little bit about what motivates you the reason behind you do what, what, what you do. Yeah. So I have a very, very different background than Brennan. Brennan has his cousins over there, but um, his whole family loves the Lord, and his dad's a pastor, his grandpa's a pastor, his uncle's a pastor. And so he just grew up with all this knowledge, and I grew up with no knowledge. Um, I had some exposure through friends, and I remember going to some Christian camps, but um, really did not understand who God was, did not understand the gospel, and I had the opportunity to go play soccer at Michigan. Um, and my foundation of, like, who I was was just really not there. I didn't have any idea who I was. And when I showed up at Michigan, um, the sports culture of this heavy drinking culture, this heavy hookup culture, it just was so prominent. It was like a heavy, you, you work really hard for six days, and then the seventh day is just this crazy night out. And my first year of college, that was what I bought into. I thought this was going to make me happy. Um, I saw all these 21, 22-year-old Division One athletes. I was like, I want to be like them. Um, and everything came up empty. It was um, just a lot of brokenness. My sophomore year, soccer was going amazing. Uh, you know, I was a leading scorer, all Big Ten, and I was so unhappy. Um, and right around that time, someone shared the gospel with me. Um, I went to an Athletes in Action weekly meeting, and um, someone just shared that truth with me kind of boldly, and that dramatically changed my life. Um, I started reading the Bible, and God's word was just so real, um, and pretty quickly, so many parts of my life were changing. My heart was softening. Um, I could not stop reading his word. I just could not get enough of it. My relationships were changing, and then I met this guy, and I met his family, and I was like, 
oh my word, like I want to have a family like this. This is what I want my kids to grow up in. Um, and so why I do this is because I was brought from death to life and um, I've seen the power of the gospel. I've seen the power of boldly like proclaiming what it is even when it's scary and I've seen people's lives be changed and I know people need to hear and I know people need the Lord and that's how I love them is I, I share with them and um, I've never had anyone yell at me for telling them about <laughs> Jesus. So until that happens, awesome. I'm going to keep doing it. So. And even if that happens, you're going to continue to do it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be okay. Yeah. Pete, Pete why, why don't you share, yeah. Why don't you share what motivates you? Yeah. Why I do. I have a story, and uh, I'm not going to give you all the details or the whole story, but suffice to say, I think it's a pretty common theme. I was a sinner, and I was in control. I thought I was a good guy, and I was doing the right things, and I was bringing up my family, and I was involved in church. I was involved in my kids' schools, and uh, I was a pretty good guy. Uh, except I had this little dark secret. And um, the secret came to light. They usually do. And when it came to light, it hurt my family. I had hurt other people. Um, my friends were hurt. Many of them are no longer my friends. Uh, my church was no longer my church. And uh, I was cast away. I really feel that, that I was cast away by society, by a lot of my friends, by my church. And uh, I knew I was a believer, so I turned to that. And um, due to the faithfulness of some others helping me along in my own faith, um, was significantly strengthened because when I lost everything, I was able to fall back on, I still had Jesus. Mm -hmm. And through Jesus, I've been forgiven. And I can now live for Christ. So the reason I do what I do is because I give it up to God. I don't try to uh, make sure that everything I want goes my way, you know. I, I don't know exactly what you're asking for, yeah. but. That's good. That's good. You, I mean, you talked about having a second chance, and okay. that's motivation. Okay, so, so God gave me the second chance, right? I came, I came back, and uh, I do something different now. Um, my family's different. My relationships are different. Um, God gave me a second chance. And I am so grateful for that. And I know how much that saves me from despair and from sadness and from frustration and from guilt. And for those people who don't have Jesus, they deal with frustration and guilt 
and sadness and pain. And they've got no, nothing to put that on. They, they don't know what to do with it. And I, I feel for them. I really do because I've been there. You know? And if you're out there and you're questioning your faith and you have pain in your life and things aren't going your way, you know, Jesus is there ready to carry you through. And you just have to give it to him. And that's something that I would want to share with anybody who, who has that frustration. And that's, that's where my coworker's at. He's often frustrated. Um, he's a little OCD, so that doesn't help. But <laughs> you know, things don't go his way, and, and he gets upset. And he gets angry. And, you know, we all do that to some extent. But the reality is that for those of us who have Jesus, we know things aren't always going to go our way, right? Mm -hmm. We make the wrong choice. It's certainly not going to go our way. We make the right choice. God's going to lead us. And that's what I would like anybody and everybody to have. So that's what motivates me to, you know, when Darren stuck his hand in the air the other day, just, just like because he wanted to get a word in edgewise, my response to him was, praise Jesus, you're finally praising God. <laughs> his hand came down pretty quick. <laughs> Nicole, why don't, why don't you share um, what changed in you uh, a couple years back because you been a teacher for five years. No, it wasn't a couple of years back. Dave, a year as or I'm two back. No, I, okay, first, what professional football team did you play for? Didn't everybody want to know? The Ravens. <laughs> okay, I had, to get, I had to clear that out of my mind. Okay, I, <laughs> I still Nicole. think I'm on the journey. <laughs> I, I mean, as you're talking, I think the hardest thing is, though, to really believe that God could place you in that place. When you talked about that last week, and you said, I am the coach of Pipey's team, and they're 9- and 10-year-olds, and I have this audience. I was weeping because I feel <laughs> like I'm still on the journey of believing, really, God, you're really going to put me in that fourth-grade classroom? Like, you know me. <laughs> Don't send me. <laughs> so I'm not there. In all honesty, you guys, I took the job because we had three kids in college. Okay? I have to go to work. That's what my degree is in. So now I'm there and I'm frustrated because now I'm not a stay-at-home mom and I can't go to Target. <laughs> <laughs> frustrated. And so literally for the first four years, I'm buttoned up at kicking, kicking, kicking the goads. Why are you kicking the goads? I'm kicking the goads. I don't want to be here. And then I'm now I'm on, but I, I'm getting to this place, and, and I'm trying to believe, like, Lord, you really would put me here. You really, like, I see the sea of 28 kids, and they're waiting for me to tell them what we're doing next, and I don't even know. And... <laughs> But yet, sometimes I'm in the classroom and I'm like, oh. and I just put my arms up like that. I hope the principal doesn't walk past the room, but I talk about Jesus all the time in the classroom. Awesome. 
Leanne, why don't you share something uh, that happened in you years ago that changed your perspective uh, on your role in life? difficult things. Why don't you people cry? Jeez, am I the only <laughs> one? What is the deal? <laughs> um, yeah, we've been, my, my husband and I have been through some very, very difficult things, um, some very horrible deaths and losses in our lives. And um, that's why I walk into Meyer and think, who's, who's having a horrible day? Because I had to go do all that stuff too. I had to go shopping when my life was falling apart. Why don't you share, if you're willing, share the yeah. prayer that you prayed in yeah. that dark time. So, um, I think it was around the time that my mother-in-law died. And um, it was after that that I started to realize how, how broken people are and what they're carrying around with them. And how sad people are. And I, I was standing in front of the front doors of my house. And I don't, I don't exactly know why I thought to pray this or what, but um, it just kind of came out of me. And I asked the Lord to give me an unusual love for people. <laughs> and man, has that happened. It's <laughs> <laughs> very powerful. I'm not crying because it's so sad. I'm crying because it's the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me. And you went on to say, this is my job. This is my full-time full calling. Yep. Yeah, to go it's around. very deep. Yeah, praise the Lord. Awesome. Why don't you give them all a round of applause? And, and th these stories are just the, the tip of the iceberg, because I've talked with many of you this week and, and other weeks, and there's so many stories like this of you following the Lord where he has sent you, boldly proclaiming the good news that you have found in Jesus. And I've always been struck by this guy in Acts named Philip. Philip was an ordinary guy. Philip wasn't one of the 12 apostles. Philip was chosen. He had a good reputation. He was full of the spirit. He had... He, he was respected by people. And he was chosen to serve the widows, serve those who were in need in the, in the early church. And he's not one of the original 12, but then all of a sudden in Jerusalem where they were living, persecution and, and problems started to arise. And it says in Acts chapter 8 that in the midst of persecution, they were scattered. They started running for their lives. Everybody except the 12 apostles. They start running for their lives. And then it hones in on this guy named Philip. The guy who was a servant in the church. The guy who wasn't one of the twelve. Just an ordinary guy. It hones in on him and it says wherever he went, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. He goes down to Samaria. To those who were the enemies of the Jewish people. They were hated by the Jews. And there he goes and he boldly proclaims the good news that he had found in Jesus. And amazing things started happening. There were miracles. People were being healed, but many gave their lives to Jesus. They were believed, they believed in Jesus, and they were baptized. 
and things were happening. There was a revival in that city, so much so that it said great joy came into that city. Because joy is always the fruit of the gospel. Life might not change, but deep down inside, and you heard it up here, there's a joy that comes when people encounter Jesus. And you would think, okay, he stays there, he stays in Samaria, things are going on, but no, God says, go down to a road that I'm going to show you. Doesn't paint the whole picture, but go down to this road, and Philip goes. He leaves a very successful time in Samaria, and he goes down to this road. He is obedient. He goes right away, and the angel said, go in this direction, and then the Holy Spirit said, go up to this chariot. Go up to this one person. And I love this. It said, Philip ran. As soon as he heard the Holy Spirit say, go up to the chariot, he runs, and he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch, a guy who had just experienced rejection in Jerusalem, because God cares for the one. God cares for the multitude, but God cares for the one, and he sent Philip to the one who had been rejected. And just by chance, he's reading out of Isaiah 53, and Philip says, do you know what you're reading? Which I think is a great question and reveals that if you take interest in people, they will open up, just like you heard up here. An Ethiopian shared. And Philip started with where the Ethiopian was at, shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And you think, wow, two amazing stories. One on the road, Zagazo, another one in Samaria. Philip, he's just an amazing guy. But it says after he interacted with the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was baptized. So he went on from there, and wherever he went from town to town, he preached the gospel. And then in Acts 21, verse 8, we think, okay, he's going off and he's doing this, but then Acts 21, verse 8 and 9, it says, Philip was in Caesarea, which became his hometown. And then we're introduced to his daughters. He has four daughters, and the scripture says they prophesied, which to me reveals that Philip not only preached to the masses, not only preached to the one-on-one, but also lived it out in the context of his home with his kids. Wherever he went, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. And Philip did this because he knew himself was an ambassador for Jesus. He, was, he existed to proclaim and to announce the coming kingdom and the kingdom of Jesus. That is the very reason he existed. And so he went all from town to town, even in his home, saying, I need to announce, I need to proclaim the name of Jesus. This is why I was sent. And this is exactly why Pete, and Leanne, and Brennan, and Nikki, and Nicole are sent. They're sent to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Why? Because they encountered Jesus. You heard it in each one of their stories. They encountered Jesus, and it wrecked them forever. As far as of Jesus, as people who are sent to be everyday disciples, it must come out of a place where we have an encounter with Jesus that transforms our lives forever. There's a picture in Acts chapter 7. And we see it of Stephen being stoned. And in verse 55, it says he looked up at heaven and he saw the Lord. And so even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of of his life coming to an end, he's still proclaiming Jesus because he had an encounter with Jesus that transformed his reality. And wherever he went, he proclaimed Jesus. Philip, wherever he went, proclaimed Jesus because he had an encounter that transformed his reality and transformed his life. Have you had that same encounter? Have you had this encounter with Jesus where it's absolutely wrecked you and you look at Jesus and your focus is so on Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, the only thing that I want to do, whether I'm at the grocery store, whether I'm at the school, whether I'm on the the field, wherever I'm at, my sole desire is to proclaim your name and bring glory to your name. That's why I exist. 
his followers of Jesus. That must be the motivation. That must be the driving thing. And as a result, we have to have our eyes squarely fixed on Jesus. I think of people who run a race. Yesterday I was watching the Ironman World Championship in Hawaii. So these guys are running this long race. And one woman, the woman who won, got stung by a, a jellyfish at the beginning of the swim. And she went on to win the race, breaking records. And what makes somebody do that? What makes someone, give someone the ability to do that? They're not focused on their armpits stinging from being stung by a jellyfish. No, they're focused on the finish. They're focused on the, the end. They're focused on making it to the finish. And I think to me, like, that was such an encouraging word and such a challenging word. As far as of Jesus, there's so many things that come into our life, so many issues, so many problems, so many circumstances, but we cannot focus on those. We must focus on Jesus. Be so focused on him that it changes everything in our lives. There's this phrase that says, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. And I actually think that's a little wrong. I want to be, and I want all of us to be so heavenly-minded that we're so earthly good. Because we're so focused on heaven that it impacts our relationships on a day-to-day -day basis. And the cool thing is, is we go from this place. We have 9,090 minutes the rest of this week. And we're all going to go into different locations. Schools, workplace, factories, grocery stores, coffee shops. We all go into those places carrying not our name, but the name of Jesus. And so what does that look like for you? I want to lead us into a time of silence. And maybe the sharing up, up here kind of sparked a conversation in your soul. Maybe you resonated with Pete who said, I've been given a second chance. I know that people need the hope of the gospel. I know that they need to encounter Jesus. And maybe that resonated with you and you need to be, all right, Lord, give me that vision. Give me that vision of a second chance. You've, you've placed me in certain areas. Let me... Help me to take advantage of that. Maybe you resonated with Leanne. Out of a dark, painful moment in her life, all of a sudden came purpose. And she prayed, God, you're going to have to give me this supernatural love for people. And if you've met Leanne, you know that the Lord has given her that supernatural love. Maybe you're in a dark place, or maybe you're like lost and, and, and kind of going, meandering through life. And you're like, Lord, give me your heart for people. Or maybe your identity is in something other than Jesus, and you resonated with what Brennan and Nikki were sharing. And maybe you need to come to the Lord and repent and say, you know what, I place my identity in this. I place my identity in my kids or in my job. Uh, Jesus, you need to be my identity. Or maybe it's what Nicole shared. That all of a sudden now in the workplace and in, in, in school, it's a mission field. She's seen kids, parents, teachers. It's a mission field. And you need to see your workplace as a mission field. I want just to lead us into a time of silence in the worship team. You guys can come on up uh, right now. And then we're going to continue to worship and pray together and see where the Lord leads us. But I would love just a, a moment of silence. And for you to ask the Lord, what are you revealing to me today? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me? How do you want me to respond? So let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. I give you praise for, for all the ways that you chase us down, the ways that you love us, the ways that you demonstrate your amazing love for us. And the truth is that everybody is, you know, they've 
they've encountered you, Jesus, in powerful ways, but that looks so different for each person. And that blows me away how creative you are, how you, you run after people and get their attention. But God, you don't do that just so that we can go throughout our lives and meander through our lives. No, you awaken us to your greatness and your glory so that we can live our lives the very reason we are created to proclaim the greatness of your name. And so Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would show us not what it looks like a week or two from now, but even today. What is the area that you have sent us to? Who have you sent us to? And what do you want us to do? I ask that, Jesus, we live lives completely surrendered to you so that your name would be glorified. Lord, for those who have never believed that they have something to give, I pray that you would, and ask that you'd remove that lie in Jesus' name. For those who have a thought, like, I don't know how to share the gospel, would you remove that lie in Jesus' name and give them words to boldly proclaim the hope that they have found in your son, Jesus? And may we have our eyes so fixed on you, not comparing ourselves to one another, but so fixed on you, Jesus, in every situation. All for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.